At this beginning of a new week of grace in this month of July, I extend unto you a warm welcome on behalf of the congregation of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, Kingston, and in the name of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise God from heaven. Praise God from earth. Robust adults in their prime and, yes, gray beards and little children. Let them praise the name of God. It's the only name worth praising. Let us begin together by the work of the Holy Spirit in lifting up our praise with him, all things bright and beautiful. In his masterful volume, The Message of the Psalms, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann explores the Psalms using three categories. The first are Psalms of Orientation, in which the people celebrate 
that some things are settled and beyond doubt, that God is trustworthy and reliable. There's a second category, however, the Psalms of disorientation. Psalms in which the people are able to articulate the ground shaking under their feet, uncertainties overwhelming, and questions profound arising. But nonetheless, they present all this to their God, as did Jesus himself from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And a third category, Psalms of reorientation. God's people feeling themselves not spared, but brought through crises of body or mind or soul, with new understanding brought through, with new trust and new commitment. The psalm we're going to read together now is from the first category, a psalm of orientation, Psalm 148. I invite you to read it with me responsively. Praise the Lord. Praise God from heaven. Praise him from the mountaintops. Praise him, all you his angels. Praise him, all you his warriors. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, you morning stars. Praise him, high heaven. Praise him, heavenly rain clouds. Praise, O let them praise the name of God. He spoke the word, and there they were. He set them in place from all time to eternity. Praise God from earth, you sea dragons, you fathomless ocean deeps. Fire and hail, snow and ice, hurricanes obeying his orders. Mountains and all hills, apple orchards and cedar forests. Wild beasts and herds of cattle, snakes and birds in flight. Earth's rulers and all races, leaders and important people. Robust men and women in their prime, and yes, graybeards and little children. Let them praise the name of God. It's the only name worth praising. His radiance exceeds anything in earth and sky. He's built a monument, his very own people. Praise from all who love God, Israel's children, intimate friends of God. Hallelujah. Amen. As I was preparing for this time of worship together, I learned that N.T. Wright has recently published a new volume. It's entitled, God and the Pandemic. And I found a clip online of an interview with Dr. Wright. He mentions in this interview that he had received some significant backlash from um, some comments that he'd made, a position that he'd taken. Essentially, these um, reviews quoted verses from Deuteronomy and Amos and Lamentations and the like, and they maintained that evil, like the pandemic, had befallen as a divine recompense for evil done. Wright countered by reminding us that there are a variety of perspectives in the Old Testament, and in fact, they don't really come together. They don't get resolved until Jesus, God incarnate among us. 
and that the New Testament is not a collection of quaint stories about how um, God came to us, but rather stories about how God changed the world, beginning in Jesus. And the change is not undertaken as we would imagine. Living in this world, in the way of Christ, it involves mystery. The mystery of the experience of good and evil, of beauty and of suffering, but with the assurance that we not can make sense of it all, not that we can know the mind of God through it all, but rather that we can trust God in Christ, that we can live with joy and integrity and compassion through it all. So we now have two readings from Holy Scriptures, one reminding us of the goodness at the heart of life in this world, and the other pointing how we might take up the way of Christ for good in our lives. Two readings brought to us by Callista. Spirit of Wisdom, be our guide as we listen for God's word speaking in scripture. When we are puzzled, grant us clarity. When we resist hearing, open our hearts. Guide us to measure our understanding by Christ, God's living word and witness. Amen. Our first reading is from Genesis chapter 1, selected verses. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the dome of the sky. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. So God created humankind in God's own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And it was so. God saw everything that God had made, and indeed it was very good. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 10. And preach as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Thanks be to God for this reading from the Holy Scriptures. Amen.
Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be found now acceptable in your sight. You who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In gardens all around the world, one can find a statue similar to this. But why might that be? Who might this be? Well, the answer will lead us to one of the great hymns of the Christian faith that we sing at St. Andrews, but also an encouragement to our faith and a challenge for our life. The story begins in the 12th century. The Christian church in Europe had emerged from the Dark Ages in, in some ways, strong, powerful, and prosperous, but in other ways, weak and in great need of reform. Parish clergy were usually ill-educated and did little for the people they were meant to serve. And most religious orders lived apart in their spiritual retreat. There were some who rejected this state of the medieval church, but most of them the church branded as heretics and persecuted. But there was one that the church wisely adopted as her own. He was born in the year 1182 in the Italian town of Assisi, the son of a rich cloth merchant. As a young man, we're told that he enjoyed a rather riotous personal life, but it came to an end rather abruptly when he was caught up in a local war and snatched from the battlefield and imprisoned. After a year of captivity and of illness, he returned to his home a changed man. One day he was praying by a forlorn wayside chapel and he heard a voice say, Go, repair my house, which you can see is falling into ruin. Well, the young man took the command literally, and he set about repairing that roadside chapel and others in the neighborhood. But it soon became clear that the church referred to in that command meant more than a building. It included the people. He wrote, write, when I was in sin, it was very bitter to me to see lepers. But the Lord himself led me into the midst of them, and I practiced mercy towards them. And when I left their presence, what had before seemed bitter to me was changed into sweetness of soul and body. The young man abandoned his dreams of being a knight, and that resulted in a breach between father and son, but also an opening for God. One day in the year 1209, during worship, he understood more fully what a personal call from Christ meant. He heard the gospel that we heard this morning, read by Callista. Preach as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. 
you received pay. You received without pay. Now give without pay. Take no gold, nor silver, nor copper in your belt, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. The young man heard this as a personal call to free himself from all that would hold him back. He went to his father and publicly renounced his inheritance. And with several companions, he set off along the highways and byways in literal obedience to Christ's words, in complete embrace of God's own way in this world, proclaiming the peace that can be known in Christ. This young man's name was Francis. The life of Francis came to be shaped by his relationship with God. He was moved most by the love of God. How glorious it is to have a Father in heaven. How holy and beloved it is to have a brother like this who lays down his life for the sheep. It was the humility of God that overwhelmed Francis. The God who loved so greatly that God would humble God's own self to come amongst us as one of us for us and our salvation. From lowly manger to shameful cross, this love known in vulnerability, in powerlessness, intentional. It was this humility of God that came to shape the life of Francis and the freedom with which Francis would live for his God and for others. Francis believed that the soul journeys to God as it conforms more and more to the way of Christ in this world. It involves not just a matter of heart or mind, but of actual deed and daily life. It involves following in the footsteps of Christ, taking up a life of simplicity, of humility, of meekness, so Christ can be seen in the Christian. Francis embraced poverty for himself. At one point, he even talked not only of walking with, but of marrying Lady Poverty. Not because he was afraid of wealth, but because he desired to fully follow Jesus. The way of Francis was Christological, but it was also very evangelical. He loved the Church of Christ. It was in and through the Church that he had come to hear and know the Gospel. But he was also committed to the reform of the Church, out of love for the Church. He was convinced that if only it would give up its privileges and its poli policies and its position in society, it would again become a vehicle by which the people would know the pure gospel, as he called it, the full and free love of God. And so he initiated a reform of the church by reforming first his own personal life as a Christian, by freeing himself from position and possession. He had no need any longer to defend them. And at every turn, 
he had the opportunity to become an instrument of God's peace among God's people. He wandered around and about amongst the people of town and country, supported by, if so inclined, the people themselves as he preached the life of the love of God. It was all rather radical. It attracted vast numbers, however, to his side. In the year 1209, Francis had 12 followers, and he asked the Pope, Innocent III, to approve a a simple rule that would govern their life together. It consisted of no more than a couple of gospel verses. The Pope was extremely dubious, but granted the request. He gave verbal consent. A decade later, the brothers of Francis numbered 3,000. A century later, 25,000 Franciscan brothers were living in the freedom and peace of the gospel in most of the communities of Western Europe. The spirit introduced by Francis was something new in the church of the day. It was humble, but without a neurotic sense of self-mortification. It embraced poverty, but it also embraced this world with joy. Francis lived in humility and peace, literally with all. He called not just fellow men and women, brothers and sisters. He called all creatures equally relatives, relations. Consider, for example, his sermon to the birds. My sweet little sisters, birds of the sky, you are bound to heaven to God your creator. So in every beat of your wings and every note of your songs, praise God. God has given you the greatest of gifts, the freedom of the air. You neither sow nor reap, yet God provides for you the most delicious food, rivers and lakes to quench your thirst, mountains and valleys for your home, tall trees to build your nests, and the most beautiful clothing, a change of feathers with every season. Clearly, our Creator loves you dearly, since he gives you gifts so abundantly So please beware, my little sisters, of the sin of ingratitude, and always sing praise to God. Everything in creation Francis loved as belonging to God. It's not just God's artistry that's seen in every living thing. It's that within creation, it's within creation that the divine and the human meet. It's here that we have seen God, and it's here that God's Spirit continues to be known. So Francis placed himself fully within the fullness of creation, the wholeness of creation. Relationships with plants and animals and soil and sky are family relationships with brothers and sisters. This canticle of creation that comes to us directly from Francis expresses this relatedness and this joy perfectly. 
It's the earliest piece of literature that we know of written in the modern language of Italian instead of classic Latin. It comes in the year 1225, when Francis was lying in the garden of a small church that he had years before himself renovated. And he, he came to not only compose this poem, but teach it to his brothers to sing as they went about preaching the love and joy of Christ. Praised be you, my Lord, with all your creatures, especially Brother Son, who brings us the day and lends us his light, who is beautiful and radiant and bears a likeness of you, Most Holy One. Praised be you, my Lord, through Sister Water, who is so useful and humble, precious and pure. Praised be you, my Lord, through Brother Fire, through whom you light the night, and he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong. Praised be you, my Lord, through our sister, Mother Earth, who sustains and governs us, who produces various fruit and vegetables and flowers and herbs. Well, the following year, when Francis was 45, and when he knew he was dying, he added another verse. Praise be you, my Lord, through our sister death, from whom no one living can escape. O oh, praise and bless my Lord and give thanks and serve him with great humility. Francis called every creature, brother and sister, even death was his sister. All of life was a gift from God, a good gift from a good God. And he was determined to embrace all of life, even death, which he believed was very much not only part of life on earth, but the door to life hereafter. This morning, we meet a man who continues to speak to us as a Christian, who continues to speak to us as Christians. It's the story of an individual who allowed his life to be turned to Christ and with only sincerity and simplicity drew others into joy and peace. His faith was focused upon the eternal and gracious God, known in the love of Christ, but it was a faith that he shared in daily lives, in daily life with those who were struggling. As he grew in Christ's love for others, he grew also into a love and care for all creation, all of God's creation, with a determination to live fully connected to the divine and the human and all creatures. When I preached once in my home church of McNabb Street, Presbyterian Church in Hamilton, after the service I was presented in Thanksgiving a, a volume by the theologian Yaroslav Pelikan. It was, it's entitled Jesus Through the Centuries, and it explores the way different centuries of humanity have focused uh, and highlighted different dimensions of the ministry of Christ. 
Well, in his introduction to the volume, Pelican asks, if public opinion poll were taken, and you asked a representative group of informed and thoughtful people, which historical figure of the past 2,000 years has most fully embodied the life and teachings of Jesus Christ? Pelican said the person who would probably be mentioned most often would be Francis of Assisi. It would be the answer of those in the Church of Christ and those beyond. Perhaps it would be our answer. But the real question is perhaps, might we also be open to have our lives turned in praise of God to the service of others and in love and care of creation? Let us ponder this question as we now sing some poetry of Francis, a prayer of Francis. All creatures of our God and King sing praises. Alleluia.
As we come to this time of prayer, I come with three particular people and peoples upon my mind and heart. The first, the Lionhearts. This is a new initiative of volunteers here in Kingston. So far, they've stepped up to prepare and distribute over 60,000 meals in three locations in our city, including one just down the street from our church building in Skeleton Park. The need amongst us knows no boundaries. Seniors and single parents, children on their own and as part of families, individuals living with mental illness. We can hear the Christian faith that is so foundational to the coordinator, Travis Blackmore, in their statement of purpose. Driven by a deep desire to see all people live with human dignity, Lionhearts unites people with practical acts of love. It's a statement, it's an act of unity. The second comes from the online fellowship time that we enjoyed last Sunday, like every Sunday, at 11.30, thanks to Zoom. Last Sunday we were joined, we were connected with James, who's serving with a peacekeeping mission in Mali, West Africa. He told us across the distance of the great insecurity that is being faced by the people of Mali and throughout the whole Sahel region an insecurity due to economic crisis. It's causing great political and social instability. He asked us to pray for peace. And I'll conclude with a well-known prayer, a prayer for peace that begins, make me a channel of your peace. Make me an instrument. It's often attributed to Francis of Assisi, but it's not found among Francis's own prayers. In fact, it first appears in print in the year 1912. One church historian recently has suggested that the phrasing, in fact, is far too self-oriented to be attributed to Francis. He writes, noble as its sentiments are, Francis would not have written such a piece focused as it is on self with its constant repetition of the pronouns I and me, and with the words God and Jesus never appearing once. It may not be a prayer of Francis, but surely it is our prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, you revealed your wonder as you crafted this world, and you revealed your care in the person of Jesus, and you continue to reveal your presence in the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing inspiration and guidance to everyday lives, even bringing us together this morning with a song on our lips and an assurance upon our hearts. Lord God, we pray continue your revelation. We are so attached to the things of this world and so negligent of things spiritual. We are so eager to get and so reluctant to give. We are so weak in adversity and so swollen in prosperity. We are so helpless apart from you 
and we have wandered so far from you. And yet from afar we have heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we have followed him even to this time. And now, Lord, together, acknowledging your holy presence, we pray that you continue to speak to us of blessing with guidance, bringing to us some understanding of our lives and of all that we hear and see around us. We pray, O oh God, speak to us of how we can experience grace, of what we must first admit about ourselves, and then what we must trust of you. Speak to us concerning the best ways to give public expression to our personal faith, how we can live with joy in a world of fear, and with simplicity in a culture of excess, how we can live committed to the common good in a society that so easily falls apart. Speak to us, O God, of how we ought to respond to the sounds of pain around us, how we might live with care, how we can accept mystery when explanations fail, how we might trust in your constant presence and your power to work good even out of evil, even as you did when you defeated darkness and death and raised Jesus. And so, O oh God, we remember now others, far and near, and we lift up now our prayers for them in this time of silence. Hear us, O oh God, how, as we pray. Holy One, we know that you are listening to us and that you are readying yourself to speak to us again. We are waiting. We, Lord, are listening. We are yours in the name of Jesus, and we would take up his way in this your world. And so we pray, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. And where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives. It's in self-forgetting that one finds. It's in pardoning that one is pardoned. And it is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. 
Hear these our prayers, O God, as we continue now together in the words you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his favor upon you and grant you peace. This day and your every day. Amen.